To observe choreographer Lauren Lataro at work, you'll need to fight to keep up. A graduate of the Juilliard School, Lauren has appeared as a performer in 14 Broadway shows, including Swing, Fosse, and Movin' Out. Now she's the one making up the steps, and with the hit Broadway musical Waitress under her belt, it seems she's doing something right. But Lauren has a vision to reach beyond the stage, as she uses her art to create real change in the world at large. A part of your brain that shuts off and listens to a story listens very differently than that part of you watching Fox News or CNN. Take Will and Grace, you know, with homosexuality. I feel like that was a turning point in America. You know, it, it had nothing to do with churches and priests changing their minds or politicians changing their minds. It's because a group of people came into your home once a week that you fell in love with that happened to be gay. I'm Nick Kepley, Director of Communications for Broadway Dance Lab, and your host. Join me today for my conversation with choreographer Lauren Lataro. So the first question that I always ask people is just how dance came into your life. Oh, how dance came into my life. I, I don't, I, I think I always danced. I don't know. Like in second grade, in first grade, I won a dance contest. And I hadn't taken, maybe I took some like, you know, kids classes. But I was always a jumping bean. And um, even before I took real classes, I was, I told people I was going to be a dancer. And I always wonder if that's just, that's what, because girls are sort of programmed to be mm-hmm. ballerinas, mm-hmm. or if that was just something I was always sort of had this proclivity towards. Mm-hmm. And because you grew up in New Jersey, right? I grew up in Jersey. So did you come in and see shows a lot as a I kid? I did. Yeah. I mean, I think I was probably six when I saw The King and I. It was my first Broadway show. Oh, wow. I just remember the experience very vividly. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then you went to Juilliard, and how did that uh, progress? Uh, well, I I started getting really serious about dance, I would say, in like sixth grade. And um, some of it was just I felt a little like a – like I didn't fit in and I didn't sort of understand the people I was around in my, you know, hometown. And I just wasn't really interested in football and interested in these other things. So I just sort of spent my time dancing. And um, Because was your family artistic? Or, no, no. My, my family is, they're all in medicine. They're all really, really smart, really great. But they were all really supportive of me. But nobody in my family imagined that it could be a career. You know, mm-hmm. it was always just thought of as this, fun extracurricular activity so I had to sort of change their minds a bit about that Mm -hmm. and then Juilliard came around yeah so I um I auditioned for Juilliard I actually skipped school (laughs) um I wrote my uh application in pencil on the Lakeland bus into New York City wow and I auditioned and um I got a call back so then I was struck with having to tell my parents (laughs) (laughs) and again they were really supportive and really great and Mm. Uh, and it's a, you know, the, the great lesson here is that one of the teachers, when I got in said, oh, you know, during your ballet exam, I crossed you off the list. And then when you showed us your modern solo, I, uh, erased my cross out and gave you a second chance. Mm-hmm. And then my freshman year, they made me take two ballet classes a day. Oh, wow. <laughs> to sort of catch up. Cause I think I didn't have the best training growing up, which is very, very, I cannot stress um, how important finding good teachers are. Yeah. That's so interesting because I think of you as such a technical dancer. It's because I worked my butt off to get there, but I got there late. Uh-huh. Um, 
and it was much, much harder, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always interested to hear about teachers that really impacted people's lives. Was there any particular teacher at Juilliard? Oh my goodness, so many. I mean, Benjamin Harker, who passed away, Mm -hmm. was life-changing. Alfred Corvino, who you can still take classes with his daughters, the Corvinos. They're Mm -hmm. they're two exceptional teachers. Um, And, uh, you know, no fuss, no muss, just really grounded technical ballet. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he was awesome. Maestro uh, Zaraspi was very Latin. It would say, hmm. you know, he could tell when we had a good night the night before by how we were dancing. I mean, he was just one, you know, really yeah. a magician. So many. Linda Kent, who danced with Paul Taylor, mm. was a, a real influence of mine. Many, many people. So through those years, were you kind of focused on more of a concert dance path, or were you interested in theater, or how did that happen? I was always interested in theater. In fact, I did, like, lots of little Fosse numbers and stuff while I was there, and I was always getting in trouble at Juilliard for making the actors dance and then choreographing operas and then, like, singing instead of dancing. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, Lots of cross-divisional things, both good and bad, I was interested in doing. Because it's not really like that there, right? It's not like that, although we're trying to... I teach there now. I'm trying to push it to be more like that Mm. because I think, especially now, you can't just dance. Just casts are small. You have to sing and act. And even if you're interested in dance companies, I mean, William Forsythe is a great example. I mean, there's no more contemporary modern dance company, and yet all of his dancers talk in -hmm. his pieces, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I feel like there's more and more talking in concert dance now just across the board. Absolutely. And just to be able to know that you can do that, it's just a muscle, just like anything else. Right. Why would you not not let that muscle develop as, you know, the same way you let your, you know, adductors develop? Right. Um, and so then did you start auditioning once you graduated from Juilliard for you, theater or? Uh, I, I, well, my junior year I auditioned for some theater and I got Beauty and the Beast and I wanted to leave Juilliard to be a spoon (laughs) (laughs) and Benjamin Hart Garvey and my parents both were like you know that's a terrible idea Uh and I remember crying and telling them that I'll never get another chance to be on Broadway (laughs) and that they ruined my chances just you know just for this degree and dancers don't need a degree anyway Uh and lo and behold boy were they right yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, so I didn't get to be a spoon in Beauty and the Beast, but I got to do a lot of other things and get a degree. Yeah. But then I auditioned for concert co- companies because I just knew that um, I was, once you, I knew that once I went to Broadway, I'd probably never come back. Mm-hmm. Just, it was just a, you know, and to be at the level I was dancing. So I danced for Twyla and I danced for Martha Graham Company, and then I danced for Momix for two years. Okay. And traveled the world, which was great. It was yeah. a great way to see Europe and Africa. And Yeah. And what was your first Broadway show? Swing. Okay. And had you done a lot of social swing dancing before, or what was that process like? I, when I was at Juilliard, I moonlit on the weekends. I did the show at the Supper Club that was swing dancing. Oh. And, and um, Frankie Manning taught us some swing and he was like he died at 106 or 102 I mean he's a he created um uh Whitey's Lindy Hoppers he's the greatest and if you don't know them look up Whitey's Lindy Hoppers they are it is it is pretty extraordinary stuff that they these guys did okay um and he you know gave me some style and you know I had some cool things so I helped I walked into the swing auditions with that information but Mm -hmm. I also was non-equity and um went to about 
uh, eight rounds of auditions over a course of a year before I finally got the job. Wow. Did you have to sing for that or did you just dance? I sang and I ended up covering Laura Benanti. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> wow. Had you had much vocal training? I did. I I was in high school. I was in a girl group and, and uh, yeah, with Atlantic Records with Daphne Rubin Vega. Wow. Um, so I did sing a bunch. And then at Juilliard, I insisted on taking singing classes once a week. Okay. Again, much to the dismay of Benjamin Hart Garvey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, I trained outside of Juilliard. I took, I had uh, private lessons that I'd go to like once a month. Okay. You know. And uh, so, you know, you went on to do 14 Broadway shows, yeah. no no small feat. Um, and, and those were big dance shows, Fosse, Moving Out, Swing. Um, what is it like to be a dancer on Broadway? Like, what is that I, life I like? I loved it. I, you know, when I was doing it, I, I, I feel like dancers are the backbone of Broadway shows. And I, I um, first of all, you're on a high. I mean, because you're, you're, you're. You're just you're exercising all day long. So you're literally I literally was on the high for ten years. You know, mm. you just you're you know, the chemicals in your body are just on fire. And um it's a great community. It's very competitive. Mm. But um I stayed in shape. I always went to class, so I you know, I got better, I didn't get worse. And uh I, I don't know, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Was it ever, because um, when I came to the city after doing ballet, it was a little hard for me to make the switch of the way that you have to audition a little bit more fully in character um, yeah. than in the concert mm-hmm. dance world. Was that switch hard for you at all? Or did you always naturally kind of do the acting side of it? Or I always was interested in the acting side of it. And for me, don't forget, ballet, there was always a deficit for me, even mm-hmm. though I did come to really, I do have strong technique. It was still a, a psychological deficit because I know I walked into Juilliard with a lot less technique than the rest of the people on my class. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was this sort of going to these auditions sort of made me felt less handicapped, <laughs> even though this is just a psychological game. I, you know, being able to put makeup on and put heels on and sing and have to act actually made me feel much more confident about my dancing. Mm. And it's it's cool that you covered right from the start because that must have given you more confidence. It like, was great because, again, I was a good singer and a good actress, but nowhere near Laura Benanti or Sutton Foster or anybody else I covered. But yet I got to keep the curtain up and cover them. And I think I always knew that. So there was no ego. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like I wasn't expecting to take over the role. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you ever want to, though? Did you ever think? Sure. But I think, again, I had a pretty clear understanding of where I – I had a realistic view of my talent. Mm -hmm. And though I pushed and pushed, there was just – there was a difference between the way I performed and the way Sutton Foster performed as an actress. Now, as a dancer, I think I was honestly – I can honestly say I felt like I was one of the best in the city. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What I was curious, I always am curious, you know, I was talking to Joanne Hunter and her amazing career as well. And what do you think made you so successful in the audition room? Fear. (laughs) I don't know. know. Um, It's a good motivator. Yeah. I think um, I was, I was pretty competitive um, and I loved it. It was like the thrill of the kill. I Mm. loved, I actually loved it, but I also loved, um, you know, I wasn't great at everything. I was great at hard dance. Mm. You know, I didn't. There were shows that I didn't get because they didn't weren't asking that kind of dancing from the room. So then, a taller, prettier girl got the gig on some level. But when it came to like hardcore dancing, mm. you know, 
I just like the, I called it sixth gear, and I would just kick in the sixth gear. I love you know? that. And Joanne, I learned it from Joanne. You yeah. Know, Marianne Lamb, Joanne, those 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 women, um, that's, that's who made these things happen. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how I learned how to dance, watching them. Mm. Um, and then, so you ended up doing a lot of associate work. Um, was that, did your interest in choreography begin and then you decided to go that way or did you associate first and then you became interested through that or? No, I always choreographed at Juilliard in my garage as a fourth grader. It was always something I did creatively. Um, it was always a part of me. And even while I was dancing on Broadway, I always, I choreographed the opening numbers of Gypsy of the Year and, um, was always doing side projects at Town Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sort of a means to an end, or you felt like you needed to learn more by doing associate work, or what was the reason for that? I didn't understand how to have um, opportunity, mm-hmm. to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. So I thought that the way to garner opportunity was to apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that had something to do with my gender, not feeling confident enough. You know, I, I always think of Andy Blangenbuehler and I were partners in Man of La Mancha, and that was his last show. I had a few more in me <laughs> after that. Um, but he stopped, and he just started choreographing mm. and sort of was relentless about deciding he was going to choreograph, whereas I was uh, less relentless and more about, you know, assisting others and learning, you know. So I think both are viable options. I just think it's interesting how I sort of took the long road. Yeah. And talk about your assistant and associate work. Well, I mean, my first big job, I mean, I assisted Kathleen Marshall on a bunch of shows, but not, uh, I didn't have official associate credit, but Mm. I was always in a skeleton crew room and always being creative. And what about this? What about this idea? How about this dance step? You know, that kind of stuff for years. Mm. Um, But American Idiot was my first associate credit with Stephen Hoggett, and he had never been really to the States. I mean, this company in London, Frantic Assembly, was mind-blowing, but um, it was real, real postmodernism. So I got the job because I could sort of help, help, as they said, like with big Broadway splashy buttons and things like that, and then I can speak his language from my training at Juilliard, so that's how I got the job. And... Um, he taught me so much. You yeah. know, he just he just shifted the way I think about movement, and you know, it just broadened. The, I should say it broadened the way I think about movement. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different style show than than Fosse or Swing or or more concert dancey shows. I, w- I would imagine that was. Oh yeah, I mean, it was all actors, right? All choreographed, but in a, in a style that was done sort of with group choreography and psychological gesture and, like, very, very ballistic and volatile and mm-hmm. electric, but there wasn't a pointed toe or a pirouette in, on the stage. And at mm. first it really took – I just – I was – you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to respond to it. It took a long time for me to understand it. And then as I watched him put this show together, I really understood for the first time that physicality comes in so many forms – Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. does that ever feel daunting? The job of an associate, how you you go on to maintain the show after the choreographer is gone. You you know, what is what does that feel like? Is it to feel like pressure to keep that? It was tons. I mean, I set the show four times, and the first time I set the show, I was so so nervous because Stephen wasn't in the room. You know, and you feel this real sense of obligation to the choreographer to make sure that you're doing right by him, Mm. and yet you're not that person. So you're trying to. I always called it like putting his like trying to think through his brain mm-hmm. because there were things that had to change by way of like, oh, the set's smaller, there's different cast size, people are different shapes and sizes, you know, things like that, you know. Um, but 
and the organizational skills of it all was never something that I was great at, and it mm-hmm. took a lot of effort. So I'm really glad I have other people now who are really good at it yeah. <laughs> and helping me. Yeah, it is a very specific team. skill set. Yeah, totally. Yes. So you did dance break. Yeah. Did you win dance break? Or did or I guess how does that I don't There's even actually no know how that okay yeah yeah okay you win by being chosen to be one of the to six. present okay yeah, and that's all it is and was that a big uh, turning point um, for you or? it wasn't it didn't do for me what it did for Casey Nicola I mm-hmm. feel like Casey sort of hit the lottery with that and it just I think part of it was that there were no by the time I did it the, the there were the the field was much more saturated with choreographers. Mm-hmm. When uh, a, a few years earlier, there was sort of a void of choreographers. It was like the, the sort of the same four usual, usual suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like the, the the crews that went earlier were a little luckier than I. Mm-hmm. But um, it was great. And again, it was just it was for me. It was ultimately about um, saying to the universe that I am a choreographer. Mm-hmm. And it just it took a little bit of of. I, I, I had to make that leap. Yeah. You know. Because you have to kind of do it before you have the career necessarily to, like, back it up. You're like, right. this is what I'm doing. Right. And I was so worried that I wouldn't get work as a dancer anymore. Like, there were so many weird things that probably were only half real. Right. You know. Yeah. What was your first full musical you ever choreographed? Uh, ha, ha, ha. Uh, How to Succeed in Business. I actually got that job through Dance Break. Okay. Um. And uh, it was really successful and really fun. Mm. It was it was a blast. Where was that? We did it at White Plains Theater, which used to be sort of it's. I think it's no longer around, but okay. it was like a sort of like Westchester Theater. You know, mm-hmm. it was great. That was a great great way in. What are some things you learned on that project? Uh, that when you don't have an answer, somebody else in the room might. And to just be generous enough to make sure that your dancers feel involved creatively, and that your director feels like they can offer you critique and help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk to you about because the choreographing for theater is so collaborative. So collaborative. So in a way, for good and bad, and, and in a way that concert dance is really not. Oh, yeah. Um, so what Yeah, what was that like? What's that learning oh, curve like for you? You just have to be so prepared to kill any baby. Mm-hmm. Like directors, I mean, I would say 99.9% of the time that I've worked with a director, they've made my work better. There's been a few instances where I really, really disagreed with their taste or disagreed with like them cutting something, but ultimately they're the director. So you have to really learn how to be unattached. And I think the more unattached you are about your work once you put it up, the more you can analyze it and the more you can make it sharper and clearer mm-hmm. and specify. But it definitely takes some training to mm-hmm. like just get on it, you know, emotionally like, okay, that's gone today. Goodbye. Or, you know, he or she didn't like this entire concept for a number. He wants a completely different concept that's not mine. Now I have to somehow find a way into this concept that I don't understand quite yet and figure it out. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Do you, I had an interesting thing happen a, a year ago. I did a Dirty Dancing. And uh, and through having assisted a lot and watched, you included watching people have to make sacrifices and play on the team, um, in a lot of things ended up getting cut that I had done. And one of my dancers said to me, I just was surprised that you didn't fight for it more. And, and I said to her, I was like, well, how do you suggest I should have fought for it more? You know, what does that really mean? But is, I mean, do, how do you feel about that? It's, it, it goes away. Yeah. It, there's, it, there's, I think I fight for three things in my, you know what I mean? In a show, because 
and then the director might give in. You know what I mean? But I feel like ultimately I have also like fought for things. And then it just stays for a couple more days. And then in previews, they're cut it anyway. And then you're scrambling for another idea. So I'd rather on the front end, like, make it copacetic. And there's always another idea. I mean, that's the thing to, to remember, too. It's like there's a million ways to skin the cat. So if this idea isn't working, there's there's a thousand other ways. So mm -hmm. why not, like, dig into the other, you know. Right, discover something new. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You always have this idea. You can always go back to it if you need to. Did you know that Broadway Dance Lab is the only nonprofit of its kind, created for the development and enrichment of choreographers, and dedicated to promote the use of dance in musical theater storytelling? We're proud to have already supported great artists such as Andy Blankenbuehler, Camille Brown, and Marcelo Gomez, but there are many more choreographers to discover, and many more steps to be made. If you believe in our mission and would like to become a donor, please visit broadwaydancelab.org slash donate. Thank you. And here's to more dancing. I wanted to talk about um, your work in opera. You're, it's very unique to you, if anyone I've spoken with on here. What, what is that world like? How is oh, that different? I love it. Yeah. Um, it's different because the singers and the conductor, the maestro, basically run the room. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, there's certain things that are like uh, very specific to opera about what supernumeraries can do, what dancers can do, and what the chorus can do. Mm. Um, so there's all these rules to learn about what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Their unions are very different. And just, um, you can't I cut music. You can't, you know, you have to be very, the music is king ultimately so mm -hmm. a singer won't bend down as you ask them if they can't if that ruins the way they're singing mm -hmm. or they won't even stand at a certain place because they know that at the Met Opera stage right has better acoustics than center stage wow. so sometimes you want them center stage and like no 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 dear here's <laughs> you have to be on this side you know stage right uh, that well, kind of stuff wow do you think that holds the art form back in any way that they can't kind of create new things they do create new things. I mean, yeah. our Rigoletto was completely new. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there are new operas, and I think I think the music will always lead as it should. Mm -hmm. You know, just like in concert dance, I think sometimes it's held back by a choreographer not having anybody else telling them what to do. Like I find concert dance inevitably. 100% of the time too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's nobody else being like, you should cut that section. Right, right. <laughs> so, I really agree. You know what I mean? So I feel yeah. like opera and concert dance, you know, I think what musical theater has going for it is exactly what makes it hard, which mm. is collaboration. Mm -hmm. And with that comes conciseness and a sort of, you know, only the strongest ideas survive. Right. And I think that both opera and concert dance again get a little more room to be indulgent mm -hmm. who have been some of your favorite collaborators that you've worked with oh I mean I really enjoyed Diane Paulus uh, Michael Mayer is uh, just a brilliant brilliant person um, Lonnie Price Hunter mm -hmm. Foster uh, Annie Kaufman Lear de Bessonette I've been really lucky I've worked with some really really smart directors Des mm -hmm. Makinoff mm -hmm. You mentioned Diane, and I definitely want to talk about Waitress. Um, well, you were there. I was there, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, just talk a little bit about that process. Uh, certainly the fact that it was an all-female team was a really big deal for Broadway. And, um, 
yeah, just I, what was that process like for you? I mean, it was great that it was an all-female team. It didn't feel any different in the room, mm. I mean, creatively, than, you know, uh, but it was great. I'm really proud of that. Uh, I mean, the process was, it was, it was, it was pretty hardcore, I felt like. I mean, I felt like finding the way the show, the show doesn't naturally dance. Mm-hmm. So I think finding a way in was, it took a lot of, well, I mean, again, you were there. So, I mean, you might have more insight than me. <laughs> but it, 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 it was hard, I think, to find a way into that show. And yeah. um, uh, Diane was uh, really specific about what she liked and what she didn't like. And mm-hmm. some, sometimes, I, you know, whole ideas went away. Um, but I think, you know, I just reset the show and watching it, I was like, I'm really proud of what we did. Mm. It's really, really beautiful. Like the subtlety of it and the storytelling of it. And I think, I think ultimately a lot of what she cut was the right answer for the show, looking Mm. back at it a second time. Um, and the nuance of it, I'm, I'm really proud of, but it was definitely, you know, we had a workshop well, I had to audition, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I auditioned for the show, which was very, very difficult. And explain explain that, because I feel like that's a lot of people don't know what that's like when a choreographer has to audition. Yeah, a lot of times a choreographer gets asked to, like, the, like a director will pick three choreographers and then say, okay, choreograph three numbers from the show. We'll give you a small amount of money, um, and you get to pick your dancers and, you know, and then and go. And then you're sort of... It's, you know, there's a part of me that's sort of resentful because <laughs> you're, like, spending a lot more money than what they give you and you're, you know, you're buying props and you're doing things. And at the same time, it's sort of what probably is making me want to direct because mm. basically you're getting to define what the show is on some level. I mean, you know, getting chosen for Waitress shifted everything about the staging of Waitress. Mm. It was a completely different show before I got involved. And we came up with a concept that shifted the show. You know, and I just did it for another show. And now, the, you know, and I remember being in the room, taking a table and chairs and being like, oh, I think this thing goes here. And I think this table goes stage left. And I think I can imagine that there's a second level and the actors can walk on the second level. And lo and behold, now we're building the set for for, for real. And it's my idea. <laughs> wow. It's like, it's the set. And, it, and it's, it's not magic. It just has to come from somewhere. You know, obviously the set designer is making changes and making it, you know, you know, better ideas, but the like the blueprint came from that day in the room where I was moving around, uh, folding tables and folding chairs. Wow, well, yeah. And and it's got to start somewhere, right? You know, and all ideas start like sort of grotesque and ugly and weird, and then they grow. So it was it, so as much as it's hard to audition mm-hmm. for shows, it's I think again leaving your ego out of it and just being like, well, it's a creative exercise right how, do you know how many other people uh, were being looked at for waitress two others okay yeah yeah okay. um so do you you know a lot of people will say like when i when i watch the show it feels feminine in some way or it has a feminine viewpoint do you do you feel that that's true do you feel like you well, can... it has a feminine it has a female protagonist right which in and of itself is like less than 20 percent of protagonists on film and tv and and theater are female protagonists usually they're for whatever reason, not not the lead. They're usually, you know, lifting up some male lead. So in that sense, already, we were in the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show was about domestic violence. So, you know, in that sense, 
and it had a softness to domestic violence, which we worked really hard at because that's actually what domestic violence is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a you know it's the, the the same guy who hits a woman is the same guy who buys her a gift the next day and apologizes, and it's really um, mushy mm-hmm. and nebulous. It's mm-hmm. not clear. And, yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I know that there was a struggle with that in the process of getting Earl kind of t- calibrated just right. That's right, right. And to some that might feel feminine because it is, it's it's just not, you know, it's not Rocky Balboa. It's, it's, it's a, a more nuanced thing. And it's about childbirth, you know. So, I mean, no. everything about the show, is, there's something about the entire show that feels, you know, insightful, I hope, you yeah. know. How do you think being a female has affected your career? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, my early work, if you look at my resume, it was like beaches, girl star, waitress. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, this is a show about girls. We need a female choreographer, which is fine, uh-huh. you know. But it's also like I want to do West Side Story and I want to do... 12 Angry Men, and I want to do, you know, I mean, so I don't want to get stuck in that, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not quite sure. I'm, not, I'm still in the middle of it, so I don't have a clear insightfulness to it. I mean, it's, we're, it's an interesting time right now with yeah. everything that's going on in the world, and I think I'm still not looked at as just simply an artist. I think I'm still looked at as a female choreographer on some level, but... Um, with every opportunity, I just hope I get more. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because you're right that there aren't a lot of stories out there about women, like you said. And, and so as a woman, perhaps you might feel like you want to tell those stories more. You know, I mean, is that is that true? Like, a- Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think that... Um, In a way that a man perhaps couldn't is what I, is what I mean. Like, yeah. I truly, truly believe that anybody can tell any story with research and care. Mm. You know, I I believe that I can tell an Asian-American story. I believe that a man can tell a woman's story. I, you know, I I really, I think that if we, I think it's a very dangerous thing otherwise, censorship otherwise, and I think it's a different conversation making sure there's room at the table for everybody, you know what I mean, which Mm. traditionally there wasn't. But I don't, I just, I get scared when it starts to be like, you can't draw that painting of a, you know, or you can't direct an Asian American play because you're not Asian American, that kind of stuff that's, you know, uh, I really, I, I take a pretty hard stance on the idea that any artist can do anything with care and effort. Of course, there might be something more insightful about childbirth that I might offer or maybe not, you know, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I offered what I could offer and, you know, listened carefully and, and, um, but who knows? I really don't know, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you founded art equals ammo. Is that, am I, is that how yeah. you, mm-hmm. okay, great. Yeah. In 2013. Yeah. Talk about that project. Um, I just wanted to do something after Newtown. I just was, I was so, the whole gun thing in this country is just, it, it blows my mind. And, um, I mean, 89 people a day die via gun violence. 89 people a day. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Over 6,000 children a year die yeah. via gun violence. You know, um, it's just the numbers are are unbelievable. And when you compare them internationally, it's just, 
I just wanted to do something, and it just felt like this was something I could do with my art. So we just got a bunch of people in the middle of the street and laid down and put some, uh, you know, drew chalk marks around them, and it just got a ton of publicity, um, which made me start the, you know, the not-for-profit from that, and then we did about 20 around the country. In fact, somebody's doing one now in San Francisco, actually. And then we just created a website basically giving them the tools and saying all it costs is chalk and go for it. Do it yourselves. We're here to help you and support you. So So they just contact you if Uh they want to do it? Yeah, and for a while um, I flew around the country on my own dime to just sort of help facilitate. And now I find that I don't even have to, that People can do it on their own. They can just call me if they get stuck, or mm-hmm. we can help. You know, get them a permit. You know, we can help do that. All it's everything. You know, internet-wise, you can find out where the police station is, and it's really, really easy to get a permit. I mean, that was my mm-hmm. big takeaway. It's easy to do this. This is, it's American to do this. This is what you know what the Constitution says we should be doing. Right. Know? So yeah, sometimes people get stuck. Yeah. I well, I was so scared. I was like, oh my god, are we going to be able to do this? And then when I I went to the police station and asked for a permit, and they were like. It's absolutely, of course, it's fine. It's your right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we'll support you, and we'll be there for you. And I mean, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard, uh, you know, being an artist in times like this, where you feel like, can can I use what I do to really make a difference? I mean, art can obviously make someone think, but can it actually make someone do something? Oh, I think it. it I think it's the only thing that makes a difference. Mm. I truly do because I think empathizing and hearing a story and getting and an almost that part of your brain that shuts off and who listens to a story listens very differently than that part of you watching Fox News or CNN. Mm. It, I think it's the only way to change hearts and minds. Take Will and Grace, you know, with homosexuality. I feel like that was a turning point in America. You know, it, it had nothing to do with churches and priests changing their minds or politicians changing their minds. It's because a group of people came into your home once a week that you fell in love with that happened to be gay Mm. and it that was the biggest marker in the shift and then the the dominoes fell after that you know what I mean and here we are with you know marriage equality just a few years later Mm -hmm. um yeah it's like a subtle thing I mean it's like if you see a message I guess in art again and again and again you know perhaps one thing doesn't change everything but but the the sort of marination of it can sure absolutely yeah yeah I think it's the only thing that changes people's minds Mm. I think it's the most powerful thing because I think otherwise confirmation bias um, kicks in and I think that most people just dig their heels in I mean and they don't listen to each other. Yeah. How do we deal though I mean not to get too political but but how do we deal with a time right now where just there is no such thing as truth there there is no I mean it's like if we could make art about something but then the administration will just say something back I mean it feels you know what I'm saying there's no like facts yeah I think that there are I think that people still know that there are facts I think that um I think that uh this too shall pass you know I think of Maoism in China and I think of McCarthyism in America and uh, the Bush years versus, you know, I mean, I think that uh, these things are cyclical and progress is uh, not a straight line with lots of curvy, bumpy roads along the way. But I think that um, I even think there's a silver lining even with this with this presidency. I mean, I, I just think that things are still progressing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all we can do as artists is be daring and bold and not afraid to dissent. Mm-hmm. 
I want to shift uh, into your process now. Um, so, you know, when you're going working on a new project, day one, or, or, you know, day one of working, even maybe before you go into the studio, how do you begin? Uh, I read the story a bunch, and I wrote down, I like to write down, like, verbs that I think the physicality represents. Mm. I listen to the music a ton, try and get to know the music. Um, and then I like to put dancers in a room. I like to work on my feet. So I like to just throw, oh, guys, I had this idea. Let me see if this will work or, you know. I really enjoy that sort of collaboration because dance, unlike anything else, is corporeal. It has to be physicalized. It's very, very difficult to sort of just write about it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like with Waitress, talk about how you found your way into that vocabulary. You were talking about that it was a little challenging physically. Yeah, I think the thing that I think kicked us off was I read this article in the New York Times uh, earlier about how daydreaming is good for you. And I remember being like, well, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, it was um, uh, just an article about daydreaming and how the, the psychological advantages, you know, makes you more creative. It actually can make your way work out of a pro, uh, out of a problem. Hmm. So then, when I got the script, I was like, "Oh, when she's baking, she's daydreaming. It has nothing to do with the baking. Hmm. The baking is just the the mundane task that facilitates the daydream. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It gives her the space. Yeah. And I was like, so what's interesting about those moments in the show? Is the opposite of the baking. Right. Who cares about the baking? That was, I think, where they sort of fell into a, a literalness in its earlier iterations. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about the baking is what she's thinking about while she's baking. Mm-hmm. So what we tried to stage was what she was thinking about while she was baking, which is basically escaping her husband, getting out, you know, getting out of this town, um, you know, falling back in love, whatever those things are. Yeah. So that's what we physicalized. So that's where it came from. That article really sort of. Mm-hmm. clicked into something and that was it seemed always to me uh, on the inside of it that that part always worked like I feel like from the from the audition from the very beginning yes that, I know that we really like clicked. barely changed the stuff we did in the audition yeah right? yeah 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 the other numbers I think were are, are still hard because they had a decision they made a decision the producers and the director that the show doesn't dance that it's a sort of boutique musical and that it has it's more elegant than that um, so I tried to push the envelope a little bit with dancing. I mean, uh, remember um, uh, Dawn's number, um, When He, when sees, he me. sees Me, was a solo. Mm-hmm. In its earliest iteration, no one else was in the, 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 it wasn't open. There were no patrons in the diner. diner. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, well, what if we put patrons in the diner and again let her sort of open up to something and I had to really convince them. I mean, that's something I fought for. Mm. And I had to show them on its feet that this thing could work. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because it's easy to make it a solo, so why not Why not try and make it a full diner? Right, right. Um, I'm sure that over the years, you your process has shifted and evolved. In what ways do you feel like you've, you've grown or changed over the years as you've been working? Uh... I think I I collaborate more with the dancers now. You know, when I was dancing hardcore, I did everything myself, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't think that that's necessarily helpful. Mm-hmm. I think that that's actually um, can be limiting. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I remember I was when I was at Valley Austin, I made a piece based on the Crucible, and I went through about four weeks of this one moment, pushing so hard for this one dancer to do this this step in a particular way, and it just wasn't working, wasn't working, wasn't working. And so finally one day, just out of frustration, actually, I, I just said, well, well, you know, if you were feeling this, how would you do that? And she just did something, and it was better than anything right. I'd ever tried to do. Right. No, right, which exactly. was a huge lesson. A huge lesson. I feel like bodies are different, and you know, why not utilize all these brilliant brains in a room right. to create something truly collaborative and beautiful on stage? Yeah. Um, I want to uh, read a quote of yours from backstage, and then just hear your thoughts about it. So you said, I have a perspective now that I'd like to pass on to young artists. The ups and downs of my performing years felt huge. The downs of not getting a job, booking a lesser role than I wished inside a company, reading online negative reviews. The ups, booking a show, receiving accolades, dancing front and center. None of that feels relevant anymore. It's all washed away. What stays with me instead is the love of dance, privately and personally, and a quiet confidence that I have purpose in the world. So talk talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I think that if I could go back in time and give myself or any young dancer out there, just just stay in love with it. You know what I mean? Just stay in love with it and do what you do and try and get better. Just try and get better. Just compete with yourself. You know what I mean? If it's two pirouettes this year, it's got to be three the next year. And if you know, but in a healthy, healthy way, take care of yourself and just know that it's a long game. It's not, it's just, it isn't about these small little things and to enjoy this thing because it goes away. I mean, I, you know, that's the thing. Dance is so ephemeral. It does go away. I can, there are things that I look in the mirror. I take ballet now and I go, oh God, I remember my leg was, <laughs> it used to be so much higher. But you know what? It still feels delicious. Uh-huh. And um, uh, just to enjoy it because it's not something you do for the rest of your life. So yeah. why be... Why do something that's so special and so unique? I think dancers are such unicorns. And be and just kill yourself over these things. Why would you do that? Enjoy it. And then that joy and that the work ethic of being joyful about it, um, but it, you know, I think I think pays off in spades because people want that energy around. And that's how you get better. You don't mm. get better by, by knocking yourself down. You get better by going, I did a good job today. Tomorrow I'm going to do an even better job. And, and you can't worry about what other people think of it. I mean, you just have to keep getting better. Even, like, choreographically, I'm getting better. Yeah. You know, I am, I'm training. All of this is training. So you can't fake it with dance. You can't pretend that you're a great dancer if you're not. But you can certainly work towards it. And if you're willing to just get up every day and work towards it, you will just get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And and what about advice for choreographers? You mentioned that it was hard to get started, which I do think is is a common feeling among emerging choreographers. Yes. What advice do you have for people trying to get started? I think just just not be afraid to put your work out there mm-hmm. and let people see it and be bold about that. I think that um, I still am trying to figure that out. You know, I think it's hard, and I think it takes a long time for directors to put faith in a choreographer because. Because choreographers do so much. I mean, the, the truth is, choreographers have such a huge hand in creating musical theater. Yeah. That I think directors are really, really gun shy. Yeah. About, you know, and I think that's why directors work with the same choreographers over and over again. Right. You know, because they know what to expect and they know that they can work together. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, it's, I've never thought about that, but as hard as it is, 
as hard as it can be as a choreographer to collaborate, perhaps it's even more challenging for the director because they're overseeing the entire vision, but here's this person that they're bringing in that really is going to have quite a bit to say about the shape of the show. A huge impact on the right. shape of the show. Right. Humongous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the last question that I always ask is simply, why do we need dance in our lives? Why do we need dance in our lives? I don't think there's any other... I think it's the most clear way we can communicate and I just think if you don't understand dance or know dance I feel like you're a walking head <laughs> I think I mean I just I think of I think of how lucky we are for to see dance and to watch dance and to understand in such a full way the beauty of our bodies in a way that most people don't recognize you know yeah, I, I think about that sometimes about when I watch dance as a dancer, that I experience it obviously very differently than a, than the layperson would. Um, I don't know. Do you ever think about that and about how we might change that? Or about, I or, do, you know. though I do know that neuro, neuroscience has done studies where anybody who watches dance actually burns more calories sitting down. Wow. And their brains are more activated just watching dance. So all oh. of us watching dance actually have we have a neurological response to it. Now, we as dancers really understand what we're looking at. So when we see a petit allegro that is exceptional, we understand the amount of work that it took to be able to do those kinds of you know, petite bots and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but still, I think even you know, sitting next to my husband, his body will start to move in, yeah. in ways that you know, are beyond his, his actual body control, which is really, really neurologically thrilling. Yeah. Getting the benefits of exercise without even yeah. doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with me, Lauren. You've, you. you have an exemplary career, and it's it's Thanks. fun to watch you, and it was amazing to work with you, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. More yeah. InStep is produced by Broadway Dance Lab and recorded, edited, and hosted by Nick Kepley. Be sure to follow us on social media using the handle at Lab, and visit our website, broadwaydancelab.org.com.